We do want to lift up this time of gathering that's going to take place um, after this time of gathering this morning, Lord, where we study your word and worship together and offer up our prayers to you, Lord, as, as um, you, God, are the only one worthy to pray to, the only one who can truly answer our prayers. And, and we thank you for this time that we have together, but Lord, the time that's coming where so many other churches will be represented from our community here and coming to get training and education in order to be prepared, Lord, to be able to prevent any kind of evil act, to stand up for what is good and true, and in protecting people, Lord, like, like, like you do, you protect. And we pray, God, that you would give them, the teacher, uh, Carl, uh, wisdom and um, insight, and um, that would be communicated to those who come to this meeting, that they would be blessed. And Lord, we're grateful that so many other churches are coming here, that we can, God, stand together um, in our relationship with your son, Jesus Christ, and have this unity to come together, Lord, and to, to set aside even some of the, the non-essential uh, differences that sometimes keep us apart, Lord, for the greater good of your kingdom and for the greater good of your people. And God, we're, 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 we're awesomely blessed to be able to be a part of that. And we love you, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, we're going to start, let's just start by going back to verse 1 of chapter 20. We're actually going to be going through verses 12 through 17 today. We began this chapter and, and made it through the first section of this first part. And um, we'll, we'll, the, the last verses, verses um, 7 or 18 through 26, really kind of connect better with chapter 21. So we'll save that for next week. But in verse 1 of chapter 20, and we're going over some of the things that we already did as we read, but we'll focus in on, on the remaining of the Ten Commandments that are in this chapter. And in verse 1 it says, And God spoke all of these words, saying, and, and just by way of remembrance, the children of Israel are gathered there at the, mount, the, the base of Mount Sinai. Moses has gone up. God has come down. They've met somewhere there. The mountains have been enshrouded with a, a thick cloud. And um, God is speaking these things out loud to Moses in the hearing of his people, God was drawing them into this covenantal relationship, and, and these were some of the conditions to the covenant that they agreed to do and say or obey all that God would say to them. And now God was speaking, and audibly they could hear his voice, God the Creator. And he says this, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage, and you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourselves a carved image of any likeness any likeness of anything that is in the heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them nor serve them, for I am the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquities of the Father upon the children down to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me. But showing mercy, verse 6, to thousands, to those who love me and keep my commandments. And you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not... Hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work. You, nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your female servant, um, nor your um, cattle, nor your stranger who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath and hallowed it. Verse 12, honor your father and your mother that the days which may be long, that your days may be long upon the land which your Lord 
the Lord your God has given you. Verse 13, you shall not murder. Verse 14, you shall not commit adultery. Verse 15, you shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. And lastly, verse 17, you shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, nor his male servant, nor his female servant, nor his ox, nor his donkey, nor anything that is your neighbor's. Amen. Um, at the end of the service this morning, the second Sunday of every um, um, month, which is today, we, we set the chairs out up front, we block off the front rows because we have uh, uh, leaders in the church come forward at the end of service and Justin will come back up um, with Debbie and lead us in a couple other songs of worship. And at the end of that, during that time, it's an opportunity for the congregation, you guys to come forward and to, to receive prayer, to pray together, uh, but also to intercede for others who, who, who you might also know need prayer. And often, uh, as is the case, because the Word of God is, is living and powerful and it's, and it's sharper than any two-edged sword, meaning it can go into our hearts and reveal things. It can call our, our thoughts and, 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 and that are in our minds and in our hearts into the presence of the Lord, where the Lord will then speak to us, not only about things going on in our own lives, but about needs that other people have around us. And as God does that this morning through His Word, I know He'll do that through His Word by the power of His Holy Spirit. Keep note of those things and understand that that may be a prompting from the Holy Spirit to come forward this morning and to receive prayer for those very things. You know, I don't know about you, but in my own life, I, I struggle at times with just keeping those things, whether it's for someone else or about someone else or about myself, in my own heart and in my own mind. And it causes me uh, uh, grief, turmoil, stress, anxiety, worry, and, and, um, and it steals my joy and my peace, and, and, and I go over and over again with it, and I'm left to this place um, where there truly is no answers apart from God, there's no relief there from the, 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 the stress that's brought on as a result of the things. And sometimes it can be my own sin. Sometimes it could be a shortcoming, a failing. Sometimes it could be a problem with one of my kids or in my marriage. Or, or, or it may just be something that I, I know that God's put a desire in my heart for. And, and, and I'm asking him, as the Bible says, Lord, bless me with that if it's of your will. And, 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 and all of these things, God desires for us to get it out of our hearts and out of our minds and bring it before him. And, and not only so that he can, he can answer it, because he will, as it says, the Lord says, you have not because you, you don't ask. And he says, come to me, I'm a father, you're my son, you're my daughter, and ask. But, but in addition to that, we receive a peace, the Bible says, that surpasses the understanding of the moment, and that God intercedes in a miraculous way, and, and, and does that work of bringing peace on the inside, and, and this assurance of knowing that, okay, it's in dad's hands, it's all good, and then we can let it go and let God do what he's going to do. And so as we're going through the Word of God this morning and studying through these things, please use that opportunity of, of, of going through God's Word to be prompted in your hearts and spirits and then to come forward and receive prayer at the end of service. Now, when we ended last week, I said we made it specifically first the, the, through the first 11 verses of this chapter. And as we read, they, they account, and I already kind of mentioned, they account the things that God had spoke to Moses these are the words that the Lord had spoke, it said, and the Lord said these things, uh, and he spoke to, to them to Moses in the presence of the children of Israel at Mount Sinai. And, and, and like we had already mentioned last week, that in doing so, that, that, that God was now establishing, he was beginning to establish this covenant with his people, with the children of Israel. And, and as you guys know, with this, with this covenant, God made a promise. God promised to take 
the Hebrew people as his own, as his own special people, a special treasure, and to make them a, 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 a kingdom of priests, and, and many other things in that, you know, a promise for a land, and promise for, for all kinds of promises that are tied into this that we know about and that we're going to still read about as we go through the rest of the book of Exodus. But the children of Israel also were called to make a promise, and, and, they, and they, in their promise, they promised to obey God's voice, to do all that God had said. And so when God spoke, he gave them, the very beginning here, his law. And, and, and um, he gave them his law as it was to be the means by which he would set them apart. Not only from the rest of the nations around them, but when you're set apart, you're not only set apart from something, but you're set apart to something. And he was setting them apart from every other people group, every other nation around them, and setting them, uh, 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 bringing them unto himself. And, and the law in, in, in doing this was the means by which God would then, as him taking them and them taking him, it was the means by which he would then govern not only the nation of Israel, but their own personal lives. And the law not only has national implications for the nation of Israel, but it more specifically and more importantly has, has personal implications into their lives. And it has that kind of way of reaching into our own lives personally as God desires to guide us and lead us and, 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 and through this life. And as God began to speak, he gave them these, in this chapter, first and foremost, these ten foundational commands. And like I mentioned last week, the first five deal specifically with man's relationship to God, and the last five deal with man's relationship to one another, how we relate to each other and how we're called to really relate to the rest of the world in every avenue of relationship, whether it's from father to son, father to daughter, husband to wife, um, um, to your coworker, to your neighbor. All of those things are encompassed in that, in this man's to man's relationship. And, and in light of this, we can see how, 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 that, that how we relate to one another, the way that we are relating to one another specifically, is, 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 is directly connected to how we are relating to God. And if we're in a right relationship with God, if we're walking in obedience to God, if we're in, in koinonia, communion and fellowship with God, we're going to have that same kind of relationship with others. But if there's this, if there's this disturbance, if, there's this, this, if we're not in a right relationship with God, we can't expect that we're going to be in right relationships with others around us. And this is why Jesus, um, but, but, but uh, um, it, it boils down to this, right? If we love God and we obey him, you know what? The, the, the result is, is that we're going to treat others around us in a loving way. It's that simple. And, and this is why Jesus would tell us in Matthew chapter 22 that the whole law really hangs on two simple commands. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with your, all your mind, and then to love your neighbor as you love yourself. Have you ever thought about how you love yourself? I think we do a pretty good job of that. We do a pretty good job of that. And if we, if we loved those around us half as well as we loved ourselves, we would be doing a good job. And that's why God said that. Love, love your neighbor as you love yourself. You know, we, we tend to put ourselves first in much, most, most situations. And, and when we don't, it's because we have to just deny self in order to put others before us. The natural response of man in our humanistic way, in our, in our flesh, is to go, me, 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 I, 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 I. 
And the Lord would say, no, it's about, it's about those around you, putting them first. And if we love God in the way that he's called us to, then we're going to love others in the way that he calls us to. Now, as we read through these, these, as we, as we read through these first words of the law that God had spoke to his people, um, last week we were able to make it really only through the first four of the commands where God said this, these things. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image to bow down to or to serve. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. And then lastly, to remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. And, and if you wish to, to go through that, if you weren't here last week, that, that lesson, that last week's teaching is online. But in, in going through those things and in doing so, we talked about how God had established some very clear guidelines um, for his people in regards to and, and this is the awesome thing about that first section is it really puts the, the emphasis on God and man's relationship with God. He really breaks it down for us and, and for his people. And, and those, those commands really illustrate these two things. Who they should worship, the, the who we should worship, right? But not just the, the who we should worship, but also guidelines for how we should worship who we should worship, and how we should worship. And that's important to know because, you know, one of the things, the primary thing that we've been created, been created for is to have fellowship with God, to worship God. And every living human being is created to worship. And, and everybody is a worshiper in some fashion and in some form. And, and without the law of God, without these who you should worship and how you should worship, people are out there worshiping all kinds of things. And their lives are erect. They bow down to money. They bow down to materialism. They worship at the altar of self. They, and on and on and on. And you all know those are things that we also are tempted to do as the world. We're in the world but not of the world. But it's, it's, it's definitely the life that we lived before we became worshipers of the one true and living God through His Son, Jesus Christ. Now, as we continue on and we, 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 we take that foundation and we look at this fifth command found in verse 12, where God then says specifically, honor your father and your mother. As we look at this, it should first be viewed as an aspect of worship because it still is, is, a, is, a, is, a, is a command that is dealing with man's relationship to God even though it's speaking about a mother and father. And it's really, it's a transitional verse, and I'm going to get to that. But as we see it as a, as a command that deals with man's relationship to God, uh, we need to consider that the, the conditional part of this command speaks about how the obedience to it, to this command, would be a determining factor for the Hebrew people being permitted to live in the land that God was giving them. God owned it, but yet they would take possession of it. And we know that that, that possession of it, that, that dwelling in the land was conditional upon them worshiping God and worshiping no other God and acknowledging Him and being in obedience to Him. And God says, in an act of worship, honoring your father and mother is key and it's, and it's, and it's first and foremost to God. And God says, listen, it ties to where you're going to be. It ties to these blessings that I want to pour out in your life. And in light of this, we need to understand that our worship of, our worship of God, guys, okay, our worship of God is not exclusively pertaining to the way that we relate to God. 
our worship of God does not exclusively pertain to just how we worship to God. And that's why, that's why church is so important. That's why fellowship with other people is important. That's why being involved in other people's lives, even outside of church, is so important. Because you're missing out on a whole aspect of, of how God calls us to worship Him if all we do is be around ourselves. On the mountain. I don't need anybody. I'm just going to go up on the mountain and worship God. Can you do that? Yes, you can. But that's only part of it. And this verse, this command reveals it to us in, in, in pointing out to us that another aspect of our worship of God also pertains specifically to how we treat those around us. Have you thought about that? The way that you treat your wife is an act of worship to God. The way that you treat and love your husband is first and foremost an act of worship to God. The same way with your kids, to your neighbor, to your coworker, to your, your in-laws, to your mother-in-law. <laughs> All of these things, because of this one command, can be seen as an aspect of our worship to God. And God, over and over and over and over again, both in the Old Testament and the New Testament, gives us specific instruction on how we are to relate with one another, how we're to have fellowship with one another, how we're to treat one another. And God says, first and foremost, when you do that, and when you do it the way I say, in love, it's an act of worship to me. You know what, guys, in Jesus, he really illustrated this Listen, in Matthew chapter 25, in verses 34 through 40. See, it's not just my, my opinion. I, I, if those of you who've been coming for a while here, I'm always going to back up a, a biblical truth with something from Scripture. Because it's the Word of God that changes our hearts. It's the Word of God that is true, not my words. And I want it to always be supported with what Scripture says. So here's where Scripture says it. Here's the confirmation. It says this, Then the king will say to those on his right hand, Come, you, blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you took me in. I was naked and you clothed me. And I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. And then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and take you in? Or naked and clothe you? Or, or when did you see... When did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king will answer and say to them, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. You did it to me. And so with that, picking back up in verse 12, if you look there where it says, honor your father and mother, we see that this is a command that kind of it transitions us into the remaining five of the Ten Commandments. And we move into these commands that really begin to deal with man's relationship to man now. And as we examine this transitional command, the, 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 the fifth of, of, of the Ten Commandments, we should first see that, that God's command to honor your father, to honor your mother, was a word, and I started this off this morning by talking about standing up for right, for what was right, protecting what God says is worthy of being protected and how God's commands do that. And so as we see this in relationship to this command to honor, we need to see that God, by establishing this command, by giving this command, was a word that was protecting, guys, the family unit. Family. Family unit 
and let me, let, me, let me quantify that biblically, the family, the family unit as God had instituted it, not as man has perverted it, but as how God has instituted it. And this becomes evident when we consider that the Hebrew word here for honor is the word kabod. And it is the same Hebrew word used over and over and over again in Scripture in regards to God being the the direct object of our honor. When we honor God, we kabod Him. And that's the same exact word used here in reference to honoring your mother and your father. And when we see that in the connection to a, the same kind of honor that we're to give to God, we're to give to the honor and the mo- to mother and the father in the protection of the family unit, what it should do for us is expose the seriousness of this command. But it also shows us that when we honor someone, guys, we're giving to them something more than just our obedience. And some people will come to, well, this is like obey your mother and your father. That's an aspect of honor, but that's not what this command says. It doesn't say obey your mother and father. It says honor them. And yes, obedience is one aspect of that. Just like when we honor God, we walk in obedience to Him. But to honor someone in the way that this is talking about in regards to more than just obedience, as you guys know, in relationship to God, is to to give respect. When we honor someone, we give them respect and even a certain amount of reverence to a person. And it's not just because of who they are, especially in this sense, but because of the position that they hold. We honor them not just because of who they are, our mother and our father, but because of the position that they hold as mother and father. And in light of this, we see that God's given the importance to and even elevating up for us this position. He's elevating this position of, of, of mother and father uh, uh, to, 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 a, to a, a, a place of importance. And in light of the, the current state of our society, which has dishonored and even dismissed the importance of, of, of fatherhood and motherhood, and the importance of their roles, specifically in shaping our society for the better, we can see the significance of this command. Now, I want to point out to you, there's going to be a lot of things that I say today that may come across as political. And I don't, I, you, if you guys have been coming for a while, you know that I, I refuse to use this pulpit and God's word before God's people as a place for a political agenda. I'm political just like the rest of you. And I have certain political views and points, and I, and I don't withhold from that because I'm afraid of the government. I'm not. If they want to come and take our 501c3, they can have it. That's not the reason why. I answer to God first. But I think the greater importance is God's word, not political things. However, the reason why it's going to seem perhaps a little political, even what I just said here, is because the morality of God's word, the morality of God's law, has entered into the political arena. And so understand, I'm not... De- de- I'm not dealing with this from a political point of view. I'm dealing with this from a biblical point of view. And, 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 and when the world now has politically tried to regulate morality, they're, they're a mess. And this is, this is how we regulate morality in our society. And this is where we stand. And, and if it enters the political arena, so be it. We don't shy away from it. We don't back down from it. But we're not going to ever legislate morality. 
It's going to come from heart change. And heart change comes from God's Word and the power of the Holy Spirit. And so as I stand, as we stand in these truths as a congregation, even this morning as we go through God's Word, understand it's not an issue of politicalness. It's an issue of morality that's now crept into our society and that our government is now trying to say, oh, this is what's moral. They don't know. They don't have a clue. So with that being said, in regards to just the shaping of our society, and, and the importance of motherhood and, and, and the importance of fatherhood, guys, there's a significance to this command. It's just, it's, it, it has so many fingers that reach into every avenue of who we are as people. And that's why God says, honor. Honor your mother and your father. Honor the position of father. Honor the position of mother. Give it respect. Give it reverence. Hold it in something that is esteemed. In addition to the honoring of parents, we look then in verse 13 with the same kind of mentality going forward, this next command which says, you shall not murder. And you know what this is? It's also a command to honor, but to honor life. To honor life to regard it as sacred and holy and precious. And it's a command to regard life as something that is sacred. It's a command to regard life as something that is, that is, that is holy and, and, and something, again, that, that, that our society, guys, really the world, it's not just exclusively our own, but really the world has also disregarded they disregarded this command to honor life as precious and sacred and holy. And without going into all the details at this time, God would later, and we'll get there, that God will later detail in the law, give details in the law that really explain how life could, can only be taken um, um, from a man on his terms, on God's terms. And the reason why is because he's the giver of life. God He's the giver of life. And two, just, just a heads up, two provisions for this that we'll look at in a, several weeks was he come back to this command and God expounds on it more. But two provisions that God gave for the taking of human life were in regards to capital punishment. When, God, when someone broke God's law, that was a capital offense. But also in, in regards to um, defending yourself or defending more specifically others those who cannot defend themselves. But because, this, 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 because life is a gift from God, because life is a gift from God, we understand, we understand that He alone has the authority to take life. That's the point. Only He does. He has the authority. Does He extend that authority in different times, in different situations? Yes, He does. But He's the one who has the authority to take life. And because we, we are all made in God's image, the taking of human life apart from the commands and apart from the authority of God, it's murder. It's murder. And murder is an attack against God. Whose life is it? His. He gave it. He owns it. He sustains it. He protects it. And murder is an attack against God at any level, even that in the womb. It 
Therefore, we should see that the protection of life, again, back to this idea of protecting what God says is sacred, what God says is holy. It's not just a command we apply to our lives and go, thou shalt not murder. It's a command we apply to our lives and go, we should stand up against those things. And so we should, we should see that the protection of life in light of this command is the responsibility of every member of society, not just the public officials. If you see somebody who's being is in danger and their life is in danger, yes, call 911, but if you have the means and the ability to stop it, stop it. Stand up. Furthermore, in light of this command to not murder, we should also consider the words of Jesus, guys, should we not, who spoke about the law and this command specifically in Matthew chapter 5 in his Sermon on the Mount when he said this in verses 21 and 22. He said, you've heard it said of old, of those of old, that you shall not murder and whoever murders will be in danger of the judgment. But I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother, whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. And I point this out because Jesus' words, what they do in light of this command, and Jesus was very, very good at this, very good at this, is, is that what Jesus' words does for us is it, is it directs us to the heart of the issue that God's pointing us to. Not just the outward behavior, but the heart of the issue. And in doing so, he brings Jesus brings clarity to this command, and he warns us that the breaking of it is an issue of the heart. Jesus brings us to the heart of the issue, and he says the, 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 the issue is, this is an issue of the heart. And Jesus reveals by this how we can all be guilty of this command that, that, that thou shalt not murder without ever taking a person's life. Talk about conviction. Who here has never been angry at their brother without a just cause? Don't raise your hand because then you would be breaking a later command about bearing false witness. <laughs> we all have. Every one of us, and we're all guilty of that. And the Apostle John illuminated this, this truth even further when he said in 1 John chapter 3, verse 15, he says, whoever hates his brother is a murderer. Oh, come on, John, you can't be that, that black and white about it. No, but it's the truth, and it's there. It's in God's Word. It's very clear. Whoever hates his brother is a murderer, and you know, he goes on to say, that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. And when we consider the heart issue here, which Jesus specifically spoke to, of anger or hatred for another person whom God has created, whom God has breathed life into, then we begin to realize that we're all guilty as we stand before God. All of us. But more importantly, these words of Jesus, guys, here's the cool thing about it, because there's grace in these words of Jesus for us to pick up and imply into our lives when we realize that we all stand guilty for, before God, because more importantly, these words of Jesus then give us the opportunity to turn, to turn away, to forsake the anger, to forsake the hatred, and turn to Jesus who not only paved the way for us to be forgiven, but the Bible tells us that Jesus also is the one who can then fill our hearts with a love for people, and here's the key, and then empower us to love them even when they're being unlovable and we want to hate them or be angry with them. 
And I love the words of Jesus that bring it and says, guys, it's a heart issue. It's just not a behavior issue. And I want to deal with your heart. I want to heal your heart. I want to give you a new heart. A heart of love. For even those who are unlovable, even when they're being unlovable, even if they put you on a cross and crucify you, where you can still cry out like Jesus did, forgive them. Father, forgive them. Father, love them. I love them. Well, the seventh of these commands, to not commit adultery, guys, I want, to, I want to dovetail right into this because it's very similar to the command, very similar to this command to not murder. In that, it was also spoken about Jesus who said, again in Matthew chapter 5, this time in verses 27 through 28, where he said this, you have heard it said, you have heard that it was said of those of old, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And in doing so, Jesus, Jesus also connected the sin of adultery to a problem within the heart, the problem of lust that begins in the heart. And the seriousness of this command or the breaking of this is then revealed when Jesus went on to say this. You guys know, he says, okay, He's talking about this command and about lust and adultery. And he says, so, if your eye causes you to sin in this way, then it would be better for you to pluck out your eyes and lose your sight than to have your whole body be cast into hell. Seems pretty serious to me. I mean, that's, that's drastic, plucking your eyeballs out of your head. And obviously, that's not what Jesus wasn't literally speaking of that. He was more so speaking of the fact that deal with the sin issue. Turn away from it. Completely forsake it. Give it no spot in your life. And this may seem like an extreme statement to this, but, but this seventh command to com not commit adultery was, was also like the command to not commit murder in that, guys, if when we study this out, we're going to find this out, that in the law, specifically the sacrificial system that was put forth in the law, that in the sacrificial system, there was no provision for the atonement of these two sins. None. If you murdered... It was a capital offense, and you were to be put to death. If you committed adultery, it was a capital offense, and you were to be put to death according to the law. And there were others like that, but by far the majority of the law, if you broke a command, you could, you could bring forth a sacrifice and, 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 and offer up the life of that animal in, 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 in place of your own so that you could have forgiveness for your sin but not in regards to these two specific sins. In light of this, we need to see that by this command, God was ultimately calling us guys to give honor to the institution of marriage and to the protection of it. Honor, on one sense, to the institution of marriage, but on the other hand, guys, a protection of it. A protection to the sanctity of marriage, which, by the way, just like the human being was created by God, we know that marriage was also created by God, and it was instituted by God as a holy and sacred thing. And when we see the severity of the punishment here attached to the violation of this command, I think it should cause us to think about the current value that is given to the institution of marriage by our society and how it has become so 
perversely dishonored. Think about it. I don't know, go into the details. You know it. You know. And as we consider that, you know what? We, we I believe, are being called, even again this morning, guys, to make a renewed and conscious decision to the honor the, the, the institution of marriage, first and foremost, by us making sure that we are being faithful to our spouse. Not only in our behavior, but in our heart. In our heart. Protecting it, honoring it, cherishing it. Placing it in the position of importance that God does. And that's not just in, in avoiding sin, but that's in being proactive and making sure you have a godly marriage, a healthy marriage, a strong marriage. Both in thought and in deed. And to honor the institution of marriage. Furthermore, by being willing to stand up and even fight, guys, are you willing to fight for what God says is right in regards to biblical marriage, even though the world out there is completely perverted and say, no, it's not this way, it's to be like this? Are you willing to stand and to fight? Because God says this, it is to be between one man and one woman until death brings them apart. And you know what? I've been married coming this July for 25 years, and it's not always been easy for my wife. <laughs> A little bit easier for me. But there have been times where it's just you just feel like going, it's not worth it. I'm going to quit. I'm going to give up. There's something or someone better. And it's a lie from the enemy. And if you're standing up for the sanctity of marriage, honoring and protecting it, you're going, this is where I'm going to stand no matter how hard it gets, no matter what happens, and I'm not going to move from this place. I'm going to fight for it. I'm going to defend it. I'm going to protect it. And I'm going to do the same for my kids. I'm going to do the same for my neighbor. And I'm going to come against those who say, nah, it's not a big deal. It's not supposed to be like that. It can be like this. And I'm going to say, no, it's not. Why? Because God's the one that says it's worth fighting for. It's worth honoring. Until death does us part. And the, one of the main reasons for why marriage should be honored, as you guys probably know, it's very obvious, but one of the reasons why it should be honored by us in these ways is because marriage is the basis for family. And family is the basis for, for uh, basic unit for, for the well-being of any nation. It is. And so marriage transcends into family, and family transcends into the wellness of a nation as a basic unit. And like we have seen take place, guys, before our very eyes, the undermining of this wonderful institution of marriage and the lack of faithfulness to marriage, to the marriage contract, which has been, which, which the lack of faithfulness to it, what it really has done is it's broken down, firstly and foremost, the family unit. Look at our society today. Why did that happen? Because marriage. It's been dishonored. And because of the family unit being broken down, the greater result or, or, or the next step in that is, is we see our nation is suffering greatly. We have all kinds of crime. I mean, it goes, I, I, don't, I don't have time to go on all that. You guys know those things. You see it, it's obvious. And we go, what happened? 
We don't honor God's law. In regards to the sanctity of life, in regards to the sanctity of motherhood and fatherhood, in regards to the sanctity of marriage, we've forsaken these things and we reap the fruit. But I'm here to tell you it's not too late. You guys, I know there's a sense in our, in our, in our current climate to go, well, if Jesus just came back, it'd be all better. And yeah, if Jesus came back, it'd be all better, but why have that defeatist attitude? We still have the truth of God before us, do we not? We still have the Holy Spirit living inside of us, do we not? Does God not still want to do a work not only in our lives and through our lives today? As far as I know, it is, and He's continued to call us to do so until the day that He comes back for us. And so that must mean that God's not done. He's not given up hope on this people, on our nation, in our country, or in our world. So why do we go around with the same kind of defeated attitude that the rest of the world has? We have joy. We have truth. We have hope. A living hope. And we give back to that by willing to go, this is right. That's wrong. This is where I'm going to stand. That's the direction I'm going to go. And we take as many people with us as we can. You shall not steal is the eighth of these Ten Commandments shall not steal. And in regards to man's relationship to one another, right, as, as we relate to one another, God sees this is huge, and it may not seem like it so much today, but it's huge. We see that God was protecting personal property rights. And that any attempt to get something for nothing is prohibited. Let me say that again. Any attempt to get something for nothing is prohibited in this command. In fact, I'm going I'm 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 to bring it to the surface here, but if you look at Ephesians chapter 4, 28 on your own time, what it's really teaching us is that there's only three ways to get wealth, guys. To work for it, to have it given to you, or to steal it. And taking anything that is not yours from anyone else is stealing and it's wrong, but in the current world that we live in, it must be said that the entitlement mentality that now saturates our culture and leads people to believe that they deserve what something else has is nothing more than theft. And God clearly and simply says this, you shall not steal. You shall not steal. And according to these passages of Scripture, other passages of Scripture like Leviticus chapter 19, go and read it. Deuteronomy chapter 19, go and read it. Stealing involves all of these things. Ensuring accuracy, the moving of boundaries, the taking of property, kidnapping, robbing, robbing from the elderly, or deceiving them out of what's theirs. Um, how about this, guys and, and gals? Cutting corners. That's the Bible says that's stealing. The dereliction of duty, withholding of wages, failing to repay debts. Hmm. Pretending, here's another one, pretending to not have money when you really do. What does Jesus say about that? He says, if you see your brother in need and you have means to take care of that need and you don't, woe is you. Here's the reason why, because God says it's all mine, you're just a steward of it, and I'm going to put people in your life who you can bless, who you can give to, who you can help take care of. And, and pretending to, to not have many when you really do? Stealing. How about devaluing items for the purpose of profit? I'm just making a good deal. It's deceiving. It's thievery. It's theft. Not returning something found that is not yours. Cheating on your taxes. Wasting things 
that could be a blessing to others. Causing willful damage, dishonoring contractual agreements, going back on your word, that stealing, laziness, that stealing, breaking promises, that stealing, assault and even robbery, or excuse me, assault and even robbing God by not returning tithes, as he says, according to, 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 to Micah chapter 3, is, is, uh, or Malachi chapter 3, is stealing. At that point, it's stealing from God, is what he says. And when we look at the heart of the issue behind all of these things, what comes to mind, guys, is one word, contentment. Contentment. And, and stealing at the root of the heart, the heart issue behind stealing is a lack of contentment, really. A lack of contentment with what God has provided for you, as if it's not enough. I don't have enough. I want that. I need that. And so then you go to some kind of means to get it for yourself, rather than going, if it was, if it was enough, then God would have given it to me. If it was what I needed, God would have given it to me. Anyone who steals violates the sanctity of God's divine order and God's divine design for every individual person, meaning he has a specific plan for your life. He knows what you can handle. He knows what you need. And God says if you seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, he's going to give it to you. And if he's not giving it to you, you don't need it. So it's safe to say that this command to not steal is, is God ordering us really to never forget who our provider is and to never forget his gracious provision for us. Number nine, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Or the shortened, the shortened version of this command so often is you shall not lie. Now once upon a time, right, you shall not lie. Once upon a time... <laughs> There were two brothers, and they were very corrupt. They were corrupt in all their ways, even though they had been uh, very successful very successful in business. They were very wealthy. And one of the brothers, when one of these brothers became critically ill with cancer, the other brother approached one of the local pastors in the community and offered to donate a huge sum of money to the church if he would say at his brother's funeral that his brother was a saint. Well, on the day of the funeral, the pastor, having accepted the challenge, looked for a way to state those unlikely words before his congregation. So, when he had come to the end of the memorial service, the pastor said this, Before we close, I want to say that compared to his living brother, Joe was a saint. Guys, the point is, 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 and this is often how we kind of relate when it comes to, to bearing false witness or lying. And the point is, is no matter how creative we think we might be in quote-unquote stretching the truth, the bearing of, 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 of false witness or of a false testimony is prohibited by God. And any understanding of what God um, is saying by this command is greatly enhanced by, by a clear understanding of what it means to tell a lie. And, and, and the speaking of an untruth or the bearing of a false witness can be manifested also in several ways, um, such as, here's one, helping to spread a rumor, or even by turning a blind eye after seeing a truth after it's been made known to us. Furthermore, a person can bear false witness by simply failing to come forward with the truth when they have it, or, or insinuate a falsehood without actually saying it is so. And perhaps I think one of the worst of all is when a person spreads gossip and really 
attacks and assassinates another person's character with something that's not true. We're going to end with this. The last of the commands, 10, verse 10, or, or verse 17, the, uh, the 10th commandment where it says, you shall not covet. And as you look at this last commandment, we should see that it is like the first command all the way back. You shall have no other gods before me. And this 10th command to not covet is much like that command in that both of these commands deal with really what's inside of our heart, right? While the other eight of the commands focus on the outward actions, a behavior that begins in our hearts. And the fact of the matter is, is when it comes to the sin of covetousness, we should realize that a person, that we will break all of God's commands in order to satisfy our own desires. Because at the heart of sin is the sin that is in our heart. And this was Jesus' point when He said in Matthew chapter 15, verses 19-20, through 20, For out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. These are what makes a man unclean. And guys, to covet is to feed those inward desires. To covet is to feed those inward desires. The desires of our heart with anything that God says is sinful. So as we close, and Justin and Debbie come up this morning, as we close this section of Scripture out and prepare to come to God in our time of prayer, I want to point out this is Ten Commandment. It goes on to give us a, a, a list, an example of lists of things that we should not envy. I already read it once. I'm not going to read it again. But the important thing for us to notice is that the emphasis in, in, in this example of list is, is the emphasis is being put on these things that are our neighbor's. It's our neighbor's things. And in doing so, we see this command to not covet comes in part with this, em this emphasis on being a good neighbor. And it points us back to what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 22 about loving our neighbor as we love ourselves. And if we love our neighbors, guys, we won't covet what they have. We won't steal from them. We won't lie about them or we won't do anything that God prohibits in his word. And this is why Paul can say in Romans chapter 13, I'm going to read it, basically he says, this is why love is the fulfillment of the law. And he says it in verse, chapter 13 of the book of Romans in verses 8 through 10, it says this. He says, owe no one anything except for love. Except to love one another. For he who loves one another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. You shall not covet. And if there is any other command, they are all summed up in this saying, namely, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. Love. Let's pray. Father, thank you, God, for the truth of your word. Thank you, God, that you, you, you speak to our hearts, Lord, that you show us these areas where we have a greater need for you. And Father, that's the beauty of the law. It shows us our need for you. And so I pray for anyone here this morning. I pray for all of us here this morning, God, as we, we see where we fall short, God, because we all do. But as we see this, as we stand before your word as a mirror, God, that reveals the truth that's inside of our heart, I pray, God, that we would come to you, our Savior, our loving Father, and that we would receive the forgiveness that you purchased for us on the cross. God, that we would see that we're not condemned, that there's no condemnation for those of us who are in your Son, Christ Jesus, but that there is forgiveness, that there's hope, that there's a renewedness that takes place, God, where you change us on the inside, where you make us new. 
And so, Lord, as we stand before you and before your word now and see our faults, our failures, our shortcomings, God, we cry out to you and say, change us. And Lord, give us the courage, the boldness to go forth from this building this morning and to stand for the things that you say are worthy of standing for, to give honor to them. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.